Shri Guru Vaishnava Guru Parampara ki jai Grantaraj Srimad Bhagavatam ki jai so, evening. We're reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, first canto, chapter 4, appearance of Sri Narada. So, the history of Narada's appearance is coming in the context of Sonaka's inquiries about the Bhagavatam, its history, and um, and in the context of that, then some glorification and history about Sukadeva Goswami, and now coming to some history and glorification of Raj Pariksit, after which then the story of of the Bhagavatam, if you will, in this particular uh, form, and how we get to where we are with uh, Sutta Goswami speaking the Bhagavatam, having heard it from, from uh, Sukadeva and... Uh, Sukadev having heard it from Vyas and so on and so forth. <clears throat> so, as so, this chapter involves the glorification of the speaker, glorification of the listener, glorification of the text that's being spoken and being listened to. <clears throat> so, we heard about Sukadev. We concluded with. Uh, um, uh, verse 8. Sago dohana matram hi griheshu grihamedinam avikshate mahabhagas tirtikuvam tadashramam. I just briefly read uh, these verses describing the uh, character and activities of Sukadev Goswami. As I say, concluding with this verse, where it's mentioned here that sago dohana matram hi. That uh, for the Godohana Matram, for the time it took to milk a cow, hmm, he would stay at the house, Griheshu Grihamedinam. He would stay at the house of people who were absorbed in uh, family life, material life. Grihamedi is not a, um, it's a bit pejorative in Prabhupada's uh, vocabulary, Grihamedinam. Uh, I believe Perlad also uh, uses it in that way to speak about people who grihabratanam, hmm, who have taken a vow, if you will, a commitment to uh, to um, material life. Hmm. For them, it's difficult for anything to go into the ear about Krishna consciousness. What does he say? That um that uh Grihabratanam Vishamam Tamishram Charvita Charvananam they're too much committed to material life. This message of the Bhagavatam sounds like mumbo jumbo to them. I would meet people like that sometimes. At the airport, it's I look this mumbo jumbo. That doesn't mean this. This doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you're too committed to, to material life. You have no no uh, no sympathetic heart for this kind of a teaching. You have to become tom akin chanagocharam. You have to become a little materially exhausted. Hmm? So same idea. Griheshu grihamedinam. Apachatam atmatatam griheshu grihamedinam. Sugadeva begins with this when he speaks in the Bhagavatam, the second canto. Oh, the people are committed to material life. They have so many questions and uh, they're not interested in this kind of message. He's speaking to the king, of course, who we'll hear about. Uh, the king is about as worldly as you can get. Hmm? Chaitanya Mahaprabhu would not even like to hear the word king. Hmm? He thought his sannyas might become compromised by by the implications of uh, of the word, the enjoyer, and so on and so forth. So, by contrast, Sugadev was. We have the com- absolute contrast here. You know, we have the emperor Prakshit Marj, who we're going to talk about, and we have the boy uh, Sugadev, who's a na- naked sage, completely renounced, and so forth, and. Described here, he would go from householder's house um, to 
and stay there as long as it took to milk a cow. Hmm? This was, uh, in the words, he would not get entangled. It means also he was not, uh, excuse me, uh, he was careful not to be compromised by way of becoming dependent upon any particular person for his maintenance. In the words, if you stay with a person for too long, then, then they take care of you, then it becomes comfortable, so the sage would characteristically move on. Siddhnard only stayed in place for three days uh, maximum. Because this mentioned relation to the Daksha Yogya and all, or his, his teaching of Daksha's students and whatnot. But here in this another standard, as long as it took to milk a cow, not a long time. Mm-hmm. So the implication is what? That he didn't stay there, he didn't get involved, he wasn't dependent upon anyone for his maintenance. It's kind of the same principle as Madhukari, where you go, uh, Madhukari mean, Madhu means uh, Madhukari, means the activity of the Madhu. You know, it's in, it's in name for the bee. The bee makes his uh, living by collecting honey. He goes from one flower to another, doesn't stay at any one flower too long. Hmm? So he's not dependent upon any individual for his or her uh, the, the sadhu maintenance. Hmm? So typically, in Godi Sampradaya, uh, the, uh, those who do Madhukari, they will go out in India and they will go from door to door and beg whenever they get. Uh, that's their meal for the day. Hmm? Um, they are also, by the standard of Sukadeva Goswami here in Srimad Bhagavatam, um, really obliged to well sanctify their residence by their presence and hopefully by some harikata, some lesson. Hmm? Um, as long as they busy, you know, milking a cow means it's a busy life. Got to milk a cow, then you got to clean up afterwards and <laughs> feed the cow. And to take care of a cow is, you know, it's a lot of work. So they were busy. Hmm? So they didn't have time hmm, to hear too much, but they tried to insert something, help everybody, something like that. So this idea of Madhukari, it's not, um, I, I, I've given the story before, I was a sannyasi godbrother of mine I was with. And Vrindavan and he, we, there was some talk about going on park room to a particular area. And he said to me, well, Madhukari is very good in that area. I said, I said, Maharaj, you're not doing Madhukari. Hmm? He said, what do you mean? I said, I said, what you mean is it's good in that area because the chapatis are buttered over there, you know, or they give more over there. He said, I said, this isn't Madhukari. You're in your mind just thinking, where, I'm going to go to the area where I can get the best, you know, where they're going to give the most. Madhukari is really good over there. Hmm? Raghunath Goswami found himself to be at fault in his own humble estimation of himself when he used to stand outside the lion's gate at uh, in Jagannath Puri of the Jagannath Temple and he would beg alms from the pilgrims coming out of the temple. They would have some Jagannath Prashad, they would give some Jagannath Prashad and then at a certain point he found himself thinking that uh, this this person uh, he didn't give yesterday you know I won't ask him I'll give that person I haven't asked him maybe I'll ask him something like that so he's making this kind of discrimination thinking about hmm, kind of taking if you will rather than than being an object to which people can give and be benefited thereby because you're not thinking about anything except giving and living for giving and so on so he changed his standard and. And, of course, he adopted a very extreme standard that Mahaprabhu himself was very pleased with. He used to go then and eat the food, the prasadam that was left after it had been fed to the cows. Whatever was left, that the cows left, some rice, and, uh, and he would wash off the grains. And then Mahaprabhu came and said, what is this? Because when Raghunathas first came to Puri, he was maintained by his parents, who sent him money. And he would then use the money to have festivals and buy lots of Jagannath Prashad for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and his associates. Then he thought that wasn't appropriate to be maintained from, from home, even though he used every penny for Mahaprabhu's service. And so that's when he began begging in front of the gate and so forth. And then he found fault in himself for that. It's kind of like Bijai. Only he didn't have that. <laughs> it wasn't a psychological issue. Uh, you know, he wasn't. He wasn't thinking he was good enough, and so forth. Anyway, so he goes. Then he eats behind the the temple where they would 
gave the leftover prashad that wasn't fit for human consumption to the cows. Whatever the cows left, he would take that, polish the grains and eat. And he's eating there. And Mahaprabhu came and said, what is this? You having feasts again? And you're not inviting me? And he snatched some grain of rice from his hand and put it in his mouth and so forth. So Mahaprabhu appreciated his renunciation. So, yes, we don't think this is a better place for Madhikari. They give hot chapatis over there, cold ones over there. So they're going to, with, without any sense that we're dependent upon anyone other than Krishna. Krishna is maintaining me. I will do Harikata. I will satisfy Krishna and he will take care of me. So, this is the position of Sukadev. Mm-hmm. Now, the um, idea here is also, uh, this is a verse that now um, ends the description of Sukadev and the idea that he stayed only long enough to milk a cow is in contrast to his speaking to the Raj. Hmm? He didn't. He stayed longer. So, therefore, we think, what is it about the Raj, Parikshit Maharaj, that caused him to stay longer? He was not a Grihamedi. He was not absorbed in, in his material life. So now we're going to hear some glorification of him because we know he stayed, stayed seven days and seven nights to speak to Maharaj Parikshit. Hmm? Abhimanyu Sutam Sutta Prahur Bhagavato Tamam Tasya Janma Mahascharjam Karamani Cha Vihini Naha. It is said that the Prikshit Maharaj, hmm, no Prabhupada's translation, it is said that Chik Maharaj Prikshit is a first class devotee. So Prahur Bhagavat Uttama. Hmm, it is said he is Bhagavat Uttam, Uttam Bhagavat. Hmm, so Uttam Bhagavat then means it speaks about the um, the nature of his uh, realization, not his eligibility, his adhikar, for practicing, but his actual realization. So 11th Canto of Bhagavatam describes the, um, the uh, realization of the neophyte, the intermediate, and the superlative devotee. Sabhabhuteshu yapashad bhagavat Sabhuteshu ya pushad bhagavad bhagavad bhavamatmanaha. I always forget that first, but anyway, that's the first two lines. Uh, that he is always in Krishna, in every living being, every living being in Krishna. He has uh, a. Uh, he lacks discrimination in such a way that is. Uh, glorious um, and desirable and so forth. Not like the neophyte who lacks discrimination. Hmm? Um, and not like the intermediate who has, who, for whose, for whom discrimination is, as they say in English, the better part of valor, hmm? proper, appropriate discrimination. So, the Uttam Bhagavata, hmm? this is the position of Parikshit Maharaj, Meeting with Sugadev. And Abhimanyu Sutam Sutta, he's described here as the uh, the son of Abhimanyu, makes him the grandson of Arjuna. So his his family lineage, the Pandavas, the royalty, are mentioned by um, um, here in the first verse. And as we'll see, when these questions that are being raised here are answered in subsequent chapters, then there's a nice story of how from his, before his birth, hmm, Sutta Goswami's, or, or excuse me, um, Prikshit Maharaj's life was auspicious. Hmm. If we study the life of Maharaj Prikshit, what do we find? We find before his birth, in the womb, his birth hmm, is, is extraordinary. Hmm. His life was extraordinary hmm, in that he ruled in such a way as to keep the influence of Kali at bay even when his time had come. Hmm? And then, in what turned out to be his old age, although he was young, Richard Marsh was not an old, an old man, he was young when he was cursed to die at seven, for in, 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 what, what, in seven days. So that could be called his old age and how his old age was spent. So how his birth, his, his life in the womb, his birth, 
his the way he conducted himself as the as the king in his old age and in his death his 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 death was was forewarned if it was an oracle uh, or a, a, a uh, he had knowledge of when he would die this is not ordinary so we see the life of raj Birchmark was extraordinary from beginning to end of course briefly with regard to how he's addressed here abhimanyu sutam sutta son of abhimanyu abhimanyu was the what the son of arjuna and in his uh, wife's womb the Pritchard marsh was uh, about to be born and what's her name uttara hmm. yes and uh, and then this is the battle of kurukshetra then so the idea was to kill the offspring of arjuna and this would certainly dishearten arjuna and so forth and and um it wasn't a, it wasn't a appropriate act for a chatriya but uh was it ashvatama uh, was it ashvatama ashvatama Ashvatthama hurled the, the, what's it called, the Brahmastra. Hmm? And so what happened was that Krishna protected him in the womb. Hmm? So from the life in the womb, very extraordinary. And then he had the darshan of Krishna in the womb. Hmm? And it is said that that was, he was always throughout his life looking then, inquiring for that person, inquiring about that person, whom he saw in the womb, who was so extraordinary, who protected him, and so forth. So the name Parikshit means inquirer. He was a seeker and an inquirer. He's a personification of uh, submissive, as Prabhupada would call it, oral reception. The personification of that. So therefore, as I say, Sukadev Goswami found a place he could stay for longer than it took to milk a cow. Hmm? The king had a busy life, but he put it all aside. Hmm? He could have even checked his death, such as his power as a Mahabhagavata, but he did not. He let, the, let it come, and of course, there was something bigger, so to speak, going on, and that was the, the classic speaking of the Bhagavatam on the part of Sukadeva and all of so many great people from India were assembled there. All the thinking people, all the aristocracy and so forth. So huge, huge uh, spiritual event. The Samrat, the emperor, hmm? now uh, uh, giving up his life. Um, so, Tasya Janma Mahascharjam Karmani Chagrihinina. Yeah, so from his birth, Throughout everything about him was extraordinary. Sasamrat Kasyavaheto Pandunam Manavardanaha Prayopavishta Gangayam Anadrityad Tiratsriyam. So Samsamrat Kasyavaheto. He was a great emperor, hmm? not a king, but an emperor, it means at whose feet kings bowed. Hmm? He was. Um, so you can imagine the the the, the, the magnitude of his uh, Aishwarya, his wealth, and what so uh, materially comfortable. Hmm? You would think so. Generally, a person like this has no impetus for uh, spiritual inquiry. The man who has everything. Hmm? Bhogaishvarya prasaktanam tayaparitichetasam. Same idea of the Grihamedi. One who has so much uh, attachment to material wealth and so forth, and the resolute kind of determination that's required for spiritual life, the one-mindedness that Sugadeva is characterized as being possessed of, that won't come in him. Hmm? So there are many stories of kings in the Bhagavatam. Bharat Maharaj renounced his kingdom, for example. That's a very important story. And most of them they seek to make this point to us over and over again. Hmm? That great people of enormous wealth and power and influence, people who have made it in every way, 
So you imagine, just in our culture, if there was a story that um, uh, you know, some big uh, celebrity in, in Hollywood or something like that, who was uh, fabulously wealthy, gave up everything to um, pursue a spiritual life, like Bart Marsh, gave up his whole kingdom, went to live. He went to live at Aldaria, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know. Brad Pitt decided to come and live at Aldaria and be a simple disciple of Swami Tripurari and uh, roll chapatis and pick, you know, tomatoes. I mean, that'd be that'd be like a story, and they'd be here with all the press and everything, you know, for interviews and and uh, how many books would be written about it and so on and so forth. So these stories they don't quite hit us like that. Hmm? Because they're they're descriptions of other cultures and kings, and they seem a little bit like, uh, well, just kind of stories. But these are, <laughs> these are real real events, hmm? and uh, they're real events, especially in the sense that they seek to give us a really significant, a message, a truth to explain, to illustrate a truth to us, that the value of material opulence is 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 limited. And that these people's positions were better off renouncing and so on. Hmm? But you can imagine, as I say at the time, what kind of a story this was in the subcontinent of India. Well, holy cow! <laughs> the, the emperor has gone to the bank, he's described here Pandunam Mana Bardanaha. Hmm? He's the uh, son of the Pandus, uh, and, uh, the descendant of the Pandus. He possessed opulence like them, um, he was in a position to increase the prestige of the Pandus, uh, uh, the, the, the Pandavas. He was, in the words, like the son supposed to increase the prestige of the father, the disciple to increase the prestige of the guru by way of you know, um, extending the, uh, the mission, extending the business, Innovating, improving it, um, and so on and so forth. Hmm? So he was in a position like this, but Prayopavishta hmm? Gangaya. Uh, the question is why, why, why did he sit on the banks of the Ganga and Prayopavishta? He fasted, and not in any small way, from food and. Uh, and drink for seven days and seven nights. So this is an incredible story. Hmm? Here is a blue blood hmm? person of royalty. You can imagine what kind of meals the royalty would eat, and the emperor would eat, and so forth. Here he, now he's fasting from food and drink for seven days and seven nights. Upavas, prayopa obishta. Upa Vas. It actually means literally. Upa means come close. Vas means residence, to reside close. The idea behind the fasting is not just some austerity to to cleanse the poisons in the body and make your mind peaceful and so forth in Vaishnavism. Hmm? Whenever Prabhupada would meet, you hear sometimes and he would be have a darshan. Some people would come and they would say they were fasting, and Prabhupada would ask, "What for?" Hmm? And they'd have some idea, well, for purification, for uh, cleansing, you know. And they, uh, but he he said that, that his idea was Vaishnava idea. There's a purpose for fasting, hmm? and the word for fasting, upavas, means that the idea is by which we will come near hmm? to God hmm? is the idea. Hmm? So I will minimize my material activities, and in days gone by, the main material activities were eating and sex. They didn't have computer games and all types of distractions, so eating and sex. So therefore, they'd have the big feasts, and then they would fast, and the kings would have many wives, and the sages would give them all up, and, and all these stories about sex and, and food means that these were, the, these were the main features of life. <laughs> Yeah, so we're ours is unfortunately, industrial society is much more more complicated. Hmm? 
<laughs> so, uh, but but this you have to see this is the kind of the central idea. So, by giving up eating, it means well, what else are you going to do if you don't eat? Hmm? All right. And so, the, the, so, the <laughs> so the time was spent in devotion and so forth hmm? to come nearer to God. Hmm? And of course, by some austerity, if we restrict the senses from reaching out and touching the objects of the senses and so forth, then naturally we start to, we have to think a little bit. That the internal organ, the mind, intelligence starts to function. And, and if you have to fast, you have to think, why I'm fasting, feel the pain, and you start to philosophize. Well, there's a higher reason I'm doing that and so forth. So it automatically, in a sense, is austerity. Even if forced, if you're forced, let's say you were arrested by... Um, the government for being a terrorist, even though you're not, and so then you're tortured by the government, and and so you have to, you know, experience some austerity. How do you get through that? You have to start to become philosophical. You have to think all things will pass. I'll get through it. There's a higher purpose in life. You know, if I don't get through it, at least I died for my cause or whatever. You know. So you, the, the 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 point is that the the internal organs is called the mind intellect they become more active and philosophical and and so forth. So this is the idea behind the fasting. He did it by by extreme uh, measure. So again, this is we see he's not an ordinary person that could move from a king's diet to fasting from food and drink for seven days and, and nights, which seems which is impossible. I think you can't. They say you can't. You can't live for seven days without water, right? Right. right? So it means mission impossible. This is what it means. He did the impossible. It's a way of saying what they what wants. What the Bhagavatam wants to emphasize here is the way in which Parikshit Maharaj took seriously the association of um, the um, Sukadeva Goswami. Hmm? This is an example. So it's such a high standard. We should pay attention to these kind of talks and take them seriously. And he is, again, the personification of of perfection by hearing. Sukadev, perfection by kirtan. Prichit Marsh, perfection by by hearing. This shravanam kirtanam, this is bhavasambandhi. Hmm? And bhavasambandhi will turn into bhavamayi. Hmm? Bhavasambandhi means that which is directly related to the bhava, to the ideal that we have. If our ideal is braj-bhakti, that is a kind of bhava. Hmm? Hmm. And so our sadhana will be centered around that ideal. And then we'll perform activities that are directly related to that. We'll hear and chant about that ideal. Hmm? And so... Hearing and chanting is related to the desired bhava. And in due course, those activities also become filled with bhava, bhava mayi. So they're, they, they, they're in both classes, both bhava mayi and bhava sambandhi. So his, his kind of hearing, and hearing is like that. Sugriva Goswami speaking is like this. And this was the inquiry of... Um, Shonaka, why, how, what's, you know, this is just, you can imagine, this is a fascinating story he's thinking. And, and, and you were there, hmm? Sutta Goswami, you witnessed this, the emperor, you know, giving up everything, going to fast from food and drink. Like I say, it's, it's like President Obama decides, you know, I'm going to give up. You don't like me anyway, or whatever, you know. I'm going to go and fast on the bank of the Hudson River and and, uh, and then some sages come and start to minister to him. Big story. Mm-hmm. So um, so what did he do? He fasted from food and drink and anadritya dirat shriyam. All his acquired kingdom and, and, and opulence, and so forth, he neglected it as if it had no value. And this is, of course, what everybody's attracted to. Mm-hmm. So Bhagavatam repeatedly likes to make these this this point. It's a very basic point, but a very uh, important, essential point. Over and over through the stories of different kings, and as I say, the main story. Hmm, this is it. The king is going to. The emperor is going to die. Hmm, 
we are all going to die in, in, in seven days. Monday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. In one of these seven days, we'll die. This is the idea. So we should pay attention, like Marsh Parikshit, as to what is, what is the nature of death. And Sugadev represents the answer. No, de, no, detach, no attachment hmm, to anything. That's the basic answer. And, of course, he goes on from there and speaks about... He, he epitomizes or uh, uh, exemplifies no detachment, but he goes on from there to speak about attachment to Krishna. Hmm? And uh, this being the means to arrive at detachment also. So, Sutta Goswami says further that Orsonika, he was such a great emperor that all his enemies would come and bow down at his feet and surrender their wealth for their own benefit. So, he had no enemies. He converted the enemies into. Uh, he converted Kali into a, you know, a Saras, uh, uh, Saranagata. Hmm. Of course, then he left the world, and Kali came out, and, and man can't change his nature. Said, <laughs> so Kali was uh, has his day, so to speak, but he couldn't have his day. In the presence of Maharaj Parikshit, so this is uh, what's that? What is that idea? To uh, who has no enemies? Tatikshiva Karunika, Surhida Sarvadehi, Ajata Shatra Shatu, Sadhu Sadhu Bhushanam. These are the ornaments, the Sadhu Bhushanam of a Sadhu that he has no enemies. Tatikshiva Karunika, all these things, tolerant, merciful, but relevant to this here. This, this explanation of Parikshit Maharaj had no enemies. Hmm? The Goswamis are described, Dira Dira Janapriya Priya Karo, Nirmat Saro Pujito. They had no envy. They were worshipable. The, the, both the black hats and the white house hats, the Diras and the Adiras, took shelter of them. They were said to give advice to the common people about common things hmm? in Vrindavan. People would approach... They were, they, were, they were the great sadhus that we know them to be, but the people in Braj saw them as, as just their, their well-wishers, the, the, and they would ask them about basic uh, disputes in the village, and they'd weigh in and give their advice, and even on material things and so forth. Uh, Sanatana Goswami, particularly he was the elder of the Goswami, said he was like the grandfather of everyone, lived in old age, the grandfather of everyone at one point in the Brudge. And so people who were spiritually interested, people who were not, you know, sadhus and whatnot, would also go to him. And they said when he would come into the villages and all the children would run to him to hold his hand and so forth, and all the people would come out of their houses to see Sanatana Goswami. In every way, in other words, the Raj is like this too. We hear the descriptions. It's not that the sadhu... It's a guy or a gal who only says, you know, you're in Maya or that's your karma and, uh, you know, I'm just here to tell you to, to, to cut off your karma and so forth. They weren't like this. Hmm? Their spirituality was wholly integrated with, uh, with, with the world in such a way that they would give worldly advice. They would help people in a worldly sense. Imagine if I started paying for, you know, some householder's upkeep, what kind of flack I might get. We're giving money, and you're paying for a householder's upkeep? There's a story like this in Godiamath, when the sannyasis were collecting money, and then they found out that they were giving it to the manager, and the manager was sending some of it to maintain his uh, relatives. And so they approached the Hachidamarsh, go forward as the leader of the sannyasis, and approached Bhakti Sarsti Thakur, and... He said, well, we're collecting this money and we're giving it to so-and-so and some of it's going to his extended family in the village. And Bhakti Sarasthi Thakur said, your business is to collect the money. That's all. Hmm? And you give it to so-and-so, the manager. Hmm? And you should know that I will throw money in the Ganges to spread Krishna consciousness. Hmm? So he knew the money was going there. And he knew he was getting a certain amount of service from that devotee. And he said, you just collect the money. 
Don't worry how I spend it. I'll throw it in the Ganges to spread Krishna consciousness. I could send you out all day, collect all the money, and burn it. And you think, what's, what's more, should we spend so much time collecting that money? Hmm? So, uh, so no, it's 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 uh, it's possible. Hmm? If someone is really dependent upon us in every way, hmm? even on a sadhu, then uh, uh, and the sadhu is detached from that person, hmm? still he uh, is obliged to maintain that person. Hmm? Not to, dip, not to uh, uh, in other words, if you're dependent upon me hmm, for your livelihood, I'm detached from you. Hmm? Let's say, let's say your wife is fully dependent on you. You're fully detached from your wife. Hmm? So, by by the law of scripture, you're not to 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 um, to give up the wife because you're detached, but to remain detached and to take care of somebody who's dependent upon you. Hmm? in your life. So this is an example of how the spiritual kind of jurisdiction, if you will, it's not this like really black and white line, it extends hmm? the, the shadow, I want to say, of compassion is included within the, 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 the full, uh, the bright uh, rays of the sun of compassion. You know the story I've told of how um, I think it was Badri Narayan, he was with Prabhupada in Calcutta, and looking out into the street, he saw some beggars, and uh, and he said, Prabhupada, you know, sometimes I feel compassion for these people. And Prabhupada said, why only sometimes? Because he was thinking, I guess, uh, or devotees used to think, you know, shouldn't feed the beggars, you know, that's that's material, that's just karma. Is it going to perpetuate their karma? You know, the Prabhupada would give when they asked, and so forth. So if the opportunity arose in the op- to, to help people on any level, in other words, we're not going to... We have our main purpose, our main function, and so forth, but if in any way we can help anyone, hmm? you know, if, we, if, if, if someone gives us a bunch of money and our households are poor, give the money to the householders so they can live at Saragrai, build a house, and so forth. What, what's the problem? <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're surrendered devotees, and so forth. So... Uh, this is this is the, uh, the kind of not that the Goswamis had money, but they were like this. And Raj Parikshit Marsh is described like this. Here it says the great emperor and, and all his, all enemies would come down and bow at his feet, surrender their wealth for their own benefit. He was full of youth, so as I said he was a young man, strength, and he possessed insuperable kingly opulences. Why did he give up everything, including his life? Then Shivaya. The relative to our discussion here, the point I'm making, Shivaya Lokasya Bhavaya Bhutaye. So he was concerned for the welfare of everyone. He was taking care of people uh, materially. And the implication of Vishnu Chakrasakra has commented on this along the lines as, uh, as I'm here that, uh, that uh, he, if it's, if, uh, if, uh, he was a Mahabhagata, Hmm? But he was maintaining people also materially, helping them even on that level. So this is the kind of sadhus we want. This is what a real devotee means. Really has a, uh, a soft heart. Hmm? We tend to come into bhakti from karma and gyan. And so the gyan side is that in a renunciation, that hard side. It's a harsh side. It's a hard-heartedness. You know? It's the knowledge that people are all under the influence of karma, hmm? and the way to help them is only to give them Krishna consciousness, not to perpetuate their karma, and we draw this line, a harsh line, under the influence of, of gyan between ourselves and the world. Bhakti is, 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 has its renunciation that causes us to step back from the world so that we can enter into the world. Hmm? Krishna's entering into the world without being influenced by it, but influencing the world in every way, hmm? being as helpful to anyone as we can can possibly be. Hmm? So a whole person, uh, uh, overflowing of their preoccupation with Krishna consciousness and the highest benefit of everyone will be 
attending to as much as within their capacity to the material needs, necessities, which may just mean listening to people sometimes who have nothing meaningful to say and you just give them an ear. Instead of you're listening to them, not really just waiting for them to stop talking so you can jump in there and, and um, yeah, regurgitate, regurgitate something that you, you know, didn't digest. Hmm? Vomit something that you haven't really digested and think that you're going to change their heart. Yeah? You can change, I used to always tell the devotees, they ask, how do you, how do you, what's the best way to preach and sell a book? And I would say, you've got to be a good listener. Hmm? If you, the person knows you're listening and you care about them, then maybe they'll care about what you have to say. If they, if they can feel you have no interest in them, you're just waiting for them to stop talking so you can vomit some dogma on them. Hmm? Again, that you haven't even digested and understood. So you don't really care about them. You want to sell them the book and move on, you know, so to speak. It can, you know, and it's not always that bad, but it, <laughs> it could get that bad. Hmm? So to listen to people, to be care about people, actually, to be concerned about they can feel that. Hmm? And then they want to hear from you. Hmm. Then they're going to take the book home and potentially they're going to study it and read it. It's going to change their, their hearts. So, so the king anyway here is described in this way. Those who are devoted, Sornika says, to the cause of the personality of God and live for the, only for the welfare, development and happiness of others. They do not live for any self-interest. So, even though the emperor was free from all attachment to worldly possessions. Hmm? How could he give up his mortal body, which was the shelter for others? Hmm? Of course, the answer is that there's a bigger picture behind it. So this is the standard, you see, that's being described. Hmm? He was great, he cared about them, and so forth. How could he, he, he was helping so many people, how could he give up his life? And it also indicates that he had the power to make the decision. Hmm? So he accepted the, the curse, as it turns out, we'll read about it in the future, of the Brahmin boy to die in seven days, but there is a bigger purpose behind, so that he could maintain them in a bigger way, hmm? by um, being the vehicle through which Bhagavatam in, in, this, in this form, in Sutta Goswami's, uh, or Sutta, Sukadeva Goswami's speech, could come out for the sake of the people. Um, and it's such a prominent, here's, again, it's such a prominent example. Yes, he was maintaining everyone. Hmm? But if that person who has such responsibility that so many people are dependent upon makes, can make such an impression on them as to the importance of the Bhagavatam and so forth and so on, then it's some justification there to, to accept the curse and... So the implication of the verse here is, is both, that he, he lived for the spiritual well-being and the material well-being of everyone. As much as the two are possible to uh, be engaged in simultaneously, all the better. Hmm? If a sadhu helps someone materially, that sadhu will not be implicated in karma. Hmm? No way. <laughs> That's, that's just, just the kindness of the, 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 the soft heart of the Vaishnav. Don't think, I'll be implicated in karma because I helped that person. If the opportunity pre presents itself in the context of doing what I'm you know, mainly charged to do, to, to, to pursue and uh, spread Krishna consciousness. We don't think that Prabhupada would even give rupees to the beggar. Suddenly he's becoming karmically implicated. Hmm? No. That's called Vaishnava Kripa. Hmm? And sometimes the blessing of the Vaishnava can be to help people materially. Then they think, oh... And it's not calculated. It's not, I'll help them materially, therefore they'll think that I'm sadhu and worth listening to. You know, it, it, It's just the nature of the Vaishnava. Hmm? To love people in any way, in every way that he or she can, of course. Hmm? So, then we come to the, uh, well, this the end of the description of Raj Pariksit, a very brief description, and one final verse, Tat Sarvam, before Sutta replies, Tat Sarvam na sama chakra, prishto yad iha kinchana, 
manitvam vishaye vacham snatam anyatra chandasat. We know that you are expert in the meaning of all subjects, except some portions of the Vedas, and thus you can clearly explain the answers to all the questions we have just put to you. So they're saying, we know you're not expert in some portions of the Vedas, but we know you can answer all the questions we have put to you. The implication here is what? The, 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 the import behind this verse is that the Bhagavatam is the Shruti Saramekam, the very essence of the Shruti, and, and, and the some sections of the Vedas that Sutta Goswami was not qualified to speak on. But by speaking on the Bhagavatam, all questions would be answered. All the mysteries of the Shruti become avail are available through this text to the common people who didn't have the Adhikar and eligibility by way of whatever it might be, uh, uh, language, skills, and so forth. The Vedas are supposed to be sung in a particular meter and, uh, and, and so on. So they didn't have the uh, Adhikar for that. But um, So by way of saying here, he's not qualified in some respects, hmm? but we know we can get all the answers to our questions. It's a way of saying Bhagavatam, is the essence of the Shruti. Nothing will be left out. Hmm? Yeah, yeah. We won't miss anything if we hear Srimad Bhagavatam. This is the, what this means to be, have, be fully educated. You know the story of the, the boy who sent to Varnasi, Varnasi to be educated and came back and father asked, are you educated? Yes. Did you hear Bhagavatam? No. Better go back. You're the Bhagavatam. Hmm went back, studied Bhagavatam, came back, said, yes, now I know what it means to be educated. This one book alone is sufficient. Father said, so you understood Bhagavatam? Yes, go back, study Bhagavatam again. Again, he went, and again he went, again he came back, said, oh, now I see, studying it a uh, second time. I really didn't understand it the first time. So Father said, now you've understood Bhagavatam? Said, yes, now I've understood Bhagavatam, after the second time studying it. Father said, go back to Banaras, study Srimad Bhagavatam again. Again he went, again he returned. Father said, so, you studied the third time? Yes. Have you understood Srimad Bhagavatam? He said, I cannot understand Srimad Bhagavatam. Father said, now you've understood Srimad Bhagavatam. Such is the nature of this, this text. Nothing will be lost there, because this can preoccupy you for your whole life and more. This is the life of Bhagavan Sri Krishna. Hmm? What kind of life is that? What kind of story is that? Hmm? The story of the life, and it's an ongoing living. He doesn't die, so ongoing living uh, uh, exploration of the heights, the depths, the breadth of the life of the absolute. As I like to say, we should think that reality is a person. It's just not us. Just as we go out in the world and implicitly or at least we, 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 we think we see the world in relation to ourselves to be used for our own purposes as if I'm the person that the world is for and everything, if everything's for me everything's mine hmm? so this is the perspective of Krishna then of God he is the person just like to extend that idea of the, 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 the Gaia Insight. The, the earth is an organism, it's living. So this idea that the, the existence is a person. And we call the person Krishna. And we are the, the Shakti, one of the many innumerable Shaktis of Bhagavan. So, so to explore the life of, life of Bhagavan is to explore the nature of uh, existence. And uh, and particularly, particularly to, to explore the subjective aspect, which is what the person is all about, his feelings. Hmm? And in the context of that, then some acquaintance with the objective world also, and it, it puts it in perspective. The whole balance is shifted on the subjective. Hmm? And, in, and from that perspective, then, we look at the objective world. We don't have to plow into the depths of every atom and what are all the forces and, and then exploit them just to make our material side of our lives 
better and so forth. No. We have a better life as it is, hmm? as the experiencer, as consciousness. This should be explored. And Bhagavatam is the book for that. Any question? Just a yes. small observation. You were saying that there's very few people are, you know, making these grand gestures, like Maharaj. However, there was a story last week which was kind of, of interest. I Steve Jobs, after starting one of the, there was a biography of one of these e-newsletters that around, and it said that this was probably the most remarkable thing this particular reporter had ever seen anybody do, to take a company to the heights that he took it to, to be a multi-billionaire and just quit. Just literally, one day he was on the phone, he was at a board meeting, the next day, I'm gone. And the, another well interesting detail in that whole thing was that it said that on his way to becoming this person that he became, he went to the Hare Krishna temple. And that was one of the things that he did on a regular basis. I just thought. He used to take prasadam in the Gainesville temple, yeah, when he was in school or something, yeah. Yeah, yeah he had some sakriti, yeah. I've heard him tell a story. I heard a lecture where he mentioned his influence of the devotees. I forget what he said. It was nice. What else? Yes? I had just a small thought. It hit me that everybody's always talking about how Maharaj Parikshit didn't eat for seven days and nights. But Shukadeva Goswami didn't do it either. So he had the compassion for his disciples. Yeah. Well, the the contrast is not as great because he was a sage and he was living in the forest and the king was a king. The king was surrounded by you know peeled grapes and so forth. You know, so for him to fast is very extraordinary. It's kind of Sukadev has been described. Well, he only stopped for long enough to milk a cow. He'd take a little milk go to the next place. So that's why it's not emphasis, but that's that was his regular lifestyle <laughs> compared to the kings. All right, we stop there. Grantara Srimad Bhagavatam. Yeah.